1: minimum of 4 lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due $35 per line connection charge applies ctmobile.com
2: good morning everybody and welcome to the morning briefing for Friday e- August 3rd 2018 what's up everybody super producer Jake Hughes here sitting in the driver's seat host Eric Dame is still on his fantastic family vacation and we wish him the best and safe travels back home he will be back here Monday so you only have to put up with me for one more day oh sad tear anyway we have a great show today Uh, First, we're going to be talking with one of our own reporters, Jonathan Copanger, about some of the stories he's working on for ConnectingVets.com. Lots of cool stuff. And after that, we're going to be speaking with the National Commander of the Veteran of Foreign Wars, B.J. Lawrence. He's going to be talking about the return of Korean war remains. Lots of really cool stuff. So make sure you stick around and make sure you check out the website, ConnectNebets.com, your one-stop shop for all things veteran-related and Make sure you follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us. You'll get the latest and greatest information. You'll know exactly when things pop off, and you'll stay on top of the veteran community because we are the veteran community. Every single person at this station knows what it's like to put that uniform on and take it off for the last time, except our one National Guards Guards woman. She's still serving, and we wish her the best. She's actually on... uh, uh, she's actually training today, so she won't be here. So we wish her safe training and, you know, don't get blowed up. <laughs> anyway, here at we are a dedicated staff of veterans providing you with the needs, stories, and camaraderie of the veteran experience. You like that? It's the new tagline we've been, uh, we sort of had a little focus group. We desired, decided what was going to be our tagline, and that's what came out of it. I think it's really cool. So, yeah. Anyway. Speaking of ConnectingVest.com, let's check out some of the stories on ConnectingVest.com. Here's one from our own Matt Saintsing. IAVA calls on Congress to pass burn pit legislation. Countless veterans have been exposed to deadly chemicals found in the clouds of smoke that billowed from burn pits during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans Association is calling on vets to push their Congress members to pass legislation. As many as 3.5 million Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans and service members have been exposed to burn pits, but only about 151,000 are on the VA registry, a figure IAVA calls abysmal. IAVA is urging veterans exposed to airborne toxins from burn pits to add their names to the VA's Airborne Hazards and Open Burn Pit Registry whether experiencing symptoms or not. We will not let burn pits and toxic exposure suffered by post-9-11 generation become our generation's Agent Orange, said the Iraq War veteran Melissa Bryant who oversees IAVA's Policy Division. About a quarter of the House, 111 representatives, have co-sponsored the Burn-Pitts Accountability Act, and similar legislation was introduced into the Senate earlier this month. The bill was spearheaded by Representative Tulsi Gabbard of Hawaii and Brian Mass of Florida, both Afghanistan and Iraq veterans. The legislation would require the Defense Department to track whether a service member had been at a location where burn pits were used. Additionally, veterans and service members already exposed would be added to the registry unless they chose to opt out with the intent to collect and analyze that data. A clear link between illnesses and exposure to burn pits have not been identified and the bill aims to create a, quote, presumption of exposure similar to those who served on the ground in Vietnam exposed to Agent Orange. 80% of the IAVA membership reports being exposed to burn pits, according to their most recent survey, and 63% claim symptoms from toxic exposure. I count myself among that 63%, added Bryant. Tragedy Assistant Program for Veterans, or TAPS, has identified about 2,000 families whose loved ones have died from burn pit exposures. Quote, some deaths have been identified as service-connected, but many have not, says Kathy Mochler, Director of Relations and Policy Analysis at TAPS. But toxic exposure isn't just from burning trash and human waste. Some service members were exposed to deadly doses of chemicals found in uranium-depleted weapons and oil refineries, in addition to the 260 open-air burn pits on military bases worldwide. Retired Army Major General Jeff Phillips is the executive director of the Reserve Officers Association, and he calls the proposed legislation, quote, "...a failure of the executive branch and a sobering condition of affairs." at least a few thousand veterans are suffering from illnesses related to burn pit exposure. According to a 2015 study conducted by the VA, everything from excess equipment, classified computer hard drives and human waste has been doused with jet fuel and set ablaze sending countless toxic particles airborne where it was then breathed in by troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, I had burn pits where I was working uh, I was well, I was stationed in my second deployment when I was stationed at uh, fab mores in Missoul there was a big huge burn pit but I was like kind of on the other side of post so I didn't experience that but at one of the combat outposts cop hotel out in the city we had to burn our own waste which was always which we called that burning the poop bucket which kind of became a euphemism for having a really well crap duty and I'm, I'm using softer language than we normally use to describe these events and yeah I had to sit out there for a good two hours pouring jet fuel and stirring human poop To make sure it burned. So I added myself to that registry, and I encourage every veteran listening to do so. Even if you were on the other side of the FOB or the combat outpost or the base or whatever from the burn pits, put yourself on this registry. That stuff got airborne, and you could have breathed it in, and it could lead to injury or illness later in life. So add yourself to that uh, registry. Once again, that is the VA's Airborne Hazards and Open Burn Pit Registry. You can find it on their website, or if you go to ConnectingVets.com and click on this story, there is a link where you can click and go there for yourself. The f- families are set to receive identified Korean war remains. This is from our National Guardsman, Ka- Kayla Jackson, who, again, is not here. She's off doing her... Uh, One weekend a month, two weeks a year thing. Weekend warriors. hua. (laughs) Anyway, here's the story. The remains of two Korean War service members have been identified and will be returned and buried in their respective towns with full military honors. The Defense POW MIA Accounting Agency reported Thursday the families of Army Corporal Terrell J. Fuller and Army Sergeant William A. Larkins will finally receive their service members' remains. Terrell, who was accounted for in April, will be buried in his hometown of Toccoa, Georgia, on August 11th. Larkins, accounted for this past May, will be buried on August 10th in Bridgeville, Pennsylvania. Quote, D.P.A.A. is grateful for the, to the government and people of the Democratic People's Republic of Korea and looks forward to the continued fulfillment of the commitment made by President Trump and Chairman Kim on the return and recovery of U.S. service members in North Korea, the agency said in a press release. North Korea returned 208 boxes of human remains to the U.S. between 1990 and 1994 and on June 12th, North Korea provided 55 boxes of service members' remains to the United States. Today, there are still 7,761 Americans that remain unaccounted for. Thanks to scientists from the DPAA, the Armed Forces Medical Examiner System, the remains of both service members were identified using mitochondrial DNA, Y-chromosome DNA analysis, Dental, anthropological, and circumstantial and material evidence. So we wish all the best to the families of Corporal Terrell Fuller and Army Sergeant William A. Larkins. We are happy to know that their families can get some closure, and we look forward to the continued identification of more remains because, like they said, the mission isn't over until everyone comes home. And so we wish them all the best. The Army is growing, so why are soldiers so afraid of being forced out? This is being reported by the Army Times by Megan Myers. Ah, the lament of the Joes. This place sucks. My chain of command sucks. This food sucks. My job sucks. A study published in July by the RAND Corp, quote, assessing the needs of soldiers and their families at the garrison level, aims to cut through that noise and break down the issues affecting morale and welfare in the Army, pinpointing them by location and including soldiers of all ages, family makeup, and experiences. And while researchers are set out to evaluate a range of, quote, needs from child care to mental health support, what they found was a plea from non-commissioned officers for more time and staff to be able to accomplish the range of duties placed on their units and a question floating over the heads of many. What is my future in the Army? Performance expectations were felt more keenly because of the broader context of a shrinking army. The dark cloud of a drawdown is still looming over the Army, according to Rand's research, despite the Army's efforts in the past two years to grow the force through both recruiting and retention. Soldiers felt that zero-deficit policies around conduct, leadership, and promotion requirements could end their career if they weren't careful. One respondent, this is a quote, One respondent described how it is now harder for people to make mistakes without feeling as though their careers will be over. And there was a sense among several respondents that rules or requirements for promotion or expectations for their performance are continually changing which decreases the sense of control over their own careers and increases feelings of uncertainty, according to the report. Earlier earlier this year, the Defense Department announced it would begin forcibly separating service members who were not able to deploy, for instance. quote Respondents felt that these changes in Army retention policies had fostered a climate in which soldiers felt that they needed to be looking out for their own interests because the army would not necessarily be taking care of them as they had been told or believed it would be in years past according to the report. Rand surveyed more than 4500 soldiers who selected their top concerns from a long list of choices then conducted site visits to four posts during spring of 2016. Team members chose Fort Gordon Georgia, Fort Hood Texas, Fort Huachuca, Arizona, and Fort Meade, Maryland, based on the number and range of problems reported and the percentage of the soldiers there who reported them. Soldiers sat down for interviews and focus groups with the team to elaborate on the issues brought up in the survey. While issue categories like well-being, military culture, and work-life balance were common among recipients, narratives diverged by age and experience. Researchers found that not only are soldiers stressed and tired, but they have trouble sleeping, maintaining healthy diet and exercise routines, and they don't have mentors or a chain of command that they can communicate with. Quote, when soldiers described problems related to their own well-being, they frequently attributed the problems to work-related stress, according to the report. Soldier respondents reported work-related stress due to units being short-staffed and or having too much work put on their units. It's not just a manning issue, respondents said, but a quality issue. Some senior leaders complained about a lack of effective mid-level leaders, which resulted in relatively senior soldiers getting involved in issues that should have been the purview of a lieutenant or a team leader, according to the report. Those mid-level leaders, in turn, expressed frustrations while getting through to younger soldiers. While a period of adjustment is expected, experienced soldiers described how there is more distance between contemporary civilian culture and military culture than there used to be, according to the report. They described how new soldiers do not always acculturate well, especially those who arrive with little respect for authority and precedence, and who are not shy about questioning authority. NCOs express the views that new soldiers' lack of willingness to keep their heads down and do the work makes it more difficult to lead. While, a part, while part of a broader issue, new soldier discipline is precisely an issue the Army is trying to tackle by building more of it into basic training. Quote The Army needs its soldiers, many of whom are very young and new to the responsibilities of adulthood. To keep their personal lives on an even enough keel to maintain readiness and their ability to deploy the report found in some ways the army has set up a system designed to handle this challenge particularly for junior enlisted soldiers the nco corps some leaders and service providers noted a challenging tendency for many junior soldiers to prefer staying in the barracks playing video games for example or watching netflix Rather than show up for events or engaging in activities, thwarting their efforts to build rapport with their Joes. Researchers found this in some places more than others, particularly in the Army's cyber warfare hub. Now, if I may break in for a little bit, it's cyber warfare. You're going to get a whole bunch of nerds. Okay, and nerds aren't exactly the most social people. (laughs) I can say this being one myself, and I'm an antisocial son of a gun. You know, even in video games, I don't play multiplayer games. I like to, you know, lose myself in the game. So that's not that surprising. Anyway, back to the story. This theme came up for junior soldiers across the installations we visited But the concern was more pronounced and widely shared by participants at Fort Gordon who explained this behavior as a personality characteristic that was more common in the type of soldiers who were training there, according to the report. But respondents pointed out, the Army's messaging doesn't always support an intervention. Quote, one challenge we heard described by focus group respondents is a changing culture that in some ways placed greater emphasis on privacy, making it more difficult for NCOs to bond with soldiers and create an environment that fosters asking for help when is necessary, according to the report. NCOs also reported relatively little time to build relationships, giving the impetus to do more with less and accomplish all of the many taskings. Sometimes, the focus groups found, a soldier's issue might require several different types of services. Quote, This situation could result from multiple problems that are interconnected from a single problem that, quote, gets out of hand when it is not handled in a timely fashion, according to the report. For instance, chain of command may send a soldier for behavioral health counseling upon noticing certain behaviors but once in counseling, the soldier may realize that there is more to the problem. The key, according to the report, is informing soldiers at all levels of what's available, where to find it, and for providers or leaders to take charge and help coordinate when a soldier comes to them with an issue, rather than referring them to another source. Quote, As as described by one respondent, it may just be that peeling back the onion, these soldiers realize they need more and more care from different providers, according to the report. In other cases, the soldiers may just wait too long to get help and end up with compounded problems, examples of financial problems that generate other problems, such as letters of indebtedness and loss of credit if neglected. Once researchers had compiled a mountain of data and stories about soldiers' issues with the Army, they sent out to evaluate the resources available on posts to help soldiers deal with those issues. Quote, for example, rumor or gossip in the military community was one of the most five selected issues by soldiers at Fort Bragg and Fort Rucker, according to the report. In addition, loneliness and boredom was one of the five most selected issues at Fort Meade and Fort Polk. Most individuals shared across the army, or most issues were shared across the army, but researchers concluded that location had a lot to do with individual issues. Large posts like Fort Hood are packed with deploying units, which brings its own stresses, but have but also have more services that are within driving distance to big cities. On the other hand, a post like Fort Polk, a training-focused installation, has a smaller community and a more remote location. In addition to loneliness or boredom, finding nearby or affordable options for recreation, stress relief, or family time, and not being able to stay at or go to the military installation you prefer were unique issues commonly selected by soldiers at Fort Polk, the report said. Soldiers appreciated the range of resources available if they felt overwhelmed, researchers found, despite not always taking advantage of them. Soldiers spoke fairly consistently about the value of mental health services and embedded behavioral health in particular, according to the report. There were more inconsistent views on the awareness, quality, and values of military and family life counselors, with some respondents describing them as very valuable and others unaware they even existed. Soldiers said long lines, Appointment wait times and an inability to secure child care were reasons they had not sought behavioral health. But the biggest problem the report found was that many of the resources that were only open that were open only during duty day, requiring a soldier to get permission from their chain of command to take time out. In other cases, soldiers turned to the Army's emphasis on resilience rather than seek professional support. Quote, that is, soldiers at all levels reported they wanted to be able or should be able to solve their problems themselves without needing to bring leadership into the equation, according to the report. That sentiment was balanced by responses of NCOs who expressed a sense of responsibility for their soldiers along with an awareness that soldiers might, not wish, might wish to maintain their privacy. But kicking that down the road can make things worse. Quote, Respondents pointed out that the downside of this tension can be that by the time individuals realize they are in over their heads and need assistance, their challenges have evolved into a much naughtier problem to untangle, the report said. At the top of their suggestions, RAND researchers wrote that more and more detailed information about resources should be available online, where soldiers can already find a variety of details about their installations through command websites. Shorter, more frequent exposure may provide better opportunities for the information to sink in and for integrating information into routines, especially given the complexity of the information and task helping soldiers and families. This would not need to be another training requirement, researchers wrote. On an individual on an individual level, the report said NCOs and younger soldiers should regularly receive updated information about resources available to them. For instance, during in-processing or counseling sessions they have already periodically. So there you have it. To me, it sounds like, I mean, I remember when I was a soldier. Like I said, I'm antisocial. I never went to my leadership, but that was because I I actually had bad leadership my first my first duty station like. The, the answer was always suck it up. You know, yeah, it sucks, but you know what? Drive on. And it wasn't until I got to my third duty station when I had uh, transferred to being a broadcaster that I really started getting the message that it's okay to go seek help. So for six years, I was pretty much floundering and couldn't seek help for any of my problems because I was told, hey, you're a soldier or even worse. It was worse when I became an NCO, when I was an E5 you know young E5 and I had problems I had I needed help but I was told hey you're an NCO you're an example to your soldiers you should be able to handle it yourself and suck it up and really that comes down to your leadership and but it's always a struggle because you want like I said in the report it all these appointments are all usually during the duty day because we have so much little time off that we can have to choose between spending time with our families and unwinding or going to this place to get help or missing work and looking like a dirt bag rather than going to get the help you need. And it's really, it can be really, really frustrating for younger soldiers, especially when they don't know what's required of them. All they know is they got this guy yelling at them, telling them to suck it up and drive on. And they don't know where to go. And this is something the Army has to work on. It's systemic. And something tells me it might be better or worse in other branches. I can imagine the Marine Corps that you're often told, hey, you're a Marine. You can handle it. And that leads to more problems. And I'm not dragging on the Marine Corps. I'm just saying from what I see, they're a little more, you know, ooh-rah, as they say. So it's a problem, and it's something the military needs to address. Anyway, you're listening to the morning briefing here on Intercom's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Make sure you visit the website, ConnectingVets.com, your one-stop shop for all things veteran-related. And make sure you follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Jake Hughes. Coming up later on in the show. Coming up next, we'll be speaking with Jonathan Copanger, our own reporter, our VA reporter, about some of the stories he's written about Connect on ConnectingBets.com. And later on, we're going to have a very special guest. We're going to have B.J. Lawrence, the National Commander of the Veteran of Foreign Wars, here to talk to us about the return of Korean War Remains. Lots of really cool stuff. Stick around. Make sure you don't miss it. You're awesome. I'm JQs. Stick around. We shall return. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets
0: every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets.
2: Welcome back to The Morning Briefing here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. best Connecting every day. I'm Super Producer J.Q., still sitting in for host Eric Dame, who's on a fantastic family vacation. And we wish him the best, but we also wish him to hurry the hell up and get back here. But I'm tired of sitting in this seat. No, I'm kidding. This is kind of my dream job. Anyway, make sure you check out the website, ConnectingVest.com, your one-stop shop for all things veteran-related and Make sure you follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Best on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to so you'll get the latest and greatest information from the veteran community because we stay on top of the veteran community because we are the veteran community. We are a dedicated staff of veterans providing you with the needs, stories, and camaraderie of the veteran experience. That's the new tagline. Do you like it? I I got to keep saying it because it came out of a little focus group, so I had to, you know, we have to keep pushing it, but eh, whatever. Anyway, it's Friday, which means...
1: It's Friday. Well,
2: yeah, it's Friday. That doesn't mean anything this half hour. It means something the next half hour, but for right now, it doesn't mean anything. Right now, though, we have a very special guest in his usual colorful attire, Mr. Jonathan Copanger, our one of our reporters here at ConnecticutBest.com. Jonathan, how goes it?
1: Um, good, now that I have coffee.
2: Yes, everything is better with coffee. <laughs> That's what I do when I come in. When I come in here, I have a set routine. The first thing I do once I get up those stairs, beeline to the coffee machine.
1: I forgot that I was doing this this morning, so thankfully I woke up, and as I was getting up, I was going to take my dog out, It was like, oh, wait, I have to do something today. Oh, yeah, so this is my first cup of coffee, so I am just now waking up, really.
2: Ah, okay. Well, hopefully you won't suck too bad. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) 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 All right, so you do so much for us here at ConnecticutVest.com. You stay on top of the VA, you talk about all the benefits, and all this other stuff, so let me ask you this. Of the stories you've written recently, is there anyone you're particularly proud of?
1: There, there's a couple. Um, I don't know if it's so much that I'm proud of what I've done, but I'm I'm proud of the fact that they they have these things. Um, telehealth has really been a, a huge um, boom for uh, VA. They're the they I think they're the um, the largest agency or largest organization in the United States to use telehealth, um, and they've just been able to expand because of this new law that was in the Mission Act that allowed them to practice across state state lines. So now what they're doing is they're partnering with um, broadband companies in real rural areas. That's very hard to say, real rural areas. <laughs> and um, they're getting broadband companies to fork over money so that these communities can lay down fiber optic cables. And they're creating these little um, telehealth hubs, for lack of a better term, um, in these communities for veterans to use. Um, they have one um, that's in Kentucky right now. Um, it I forget uh, exactly where it is, but it costs $50 million between two counties to lay this, These um, cables so these veterans can use this it's in a public library. There's two rooms It's like they call it a virtual living room There's a living room waiting area so they can hang out with their veteran friends and then they can go in the back room and actually be face-to-face with a doctor through a video monitor
2: Oh, okay. Now, my only experience with uh, with library computers is the ones that are out in the open, yeah. and I don't want to be talking to. <laughs> no. them. So, yeah, I dream about killing this person, and no,
1: <laughs> no. This is this is really it's it's private. I have to deal with HIPAA things like that, so it's very private. But now they're partnering with a couple of VSOS to work with them to identify different posts in their area, so they could do the same thing. Oh, really? so they're really just trying to bring this to rural America, so that veterans don't have to use the choice program, don't have to go, you know, travel 200 miles to get to their nearest. Uh, uh, medical center it's really really a good deal they could do there's over 50 types of treatment that they can do with this um it's really really cool they have this really great technology where they could actually um give a veteran um like a, a cuff to check their blood pressure or uh, a stethoscope they put on their heart and so the doctor could actually hear real time what's going on oh, wow. it's, it's very very cool and the va can provide equipment to veterans uh for this even if if you just if you have uh Broadband in your house, if you have uh, wireless, but you don't have like a tablet to do, you know, you can do video connect is, is the app that VA has. Um, if you don't have a tablet, VA will can loan you one. So you can get your equipment. You just talk to your, your medical provider there at your medical center and they can take it from there.
2: Wow, I, I'm going to tell my provider, yeah, I need a tablet for uh, <laughs> for reasons. But no, it's weird because I, no, I have no shame in saying this. I'm not going to go into details, but I'll say this. Uh, the doctor that I see has actually, we, we moved the option to telehealth, which works for me. Because now, because it used to be I had to leave once a week to go to this appointment and then I'm off work and I'm getting paid for not doing anything, which I'm fine with. Right. I really am. <laughs> but, you know. Now it's that I can go to my, instead of going all the way out to this place to see the doctor, I can see it from my living room and then I can hop on my computer and continue to work.
1: Right. There's a lot to be said for um, being comfortable and when you're getting your treatment, especially if it's a mental health. And and this is what telehealth, the majority of telehealth appointments, and I forget, there was like one point something million. I mean, they, they did a lot in in last year, but the majority of, of the appointments are for mental health. So it's really a good modality for that, but they have all sorts of other things that they're developing to be able to, to do, I mean, when I was still working for the VA, I saw, um, a cart that they had that uh, they would use for gynecological, gynecological appointments. So they could do that through telehealth as well, which I found that very, you know, it was like, how can you do that? But they can do it. Yeah. It's, uh, (laughs) I can make some jokes, but I'm not going to make a joke. (laughs) I'm I'm better than that. And I can't really say them on the air. So that's, that's really cool, man. There's another thing that I found that the VA has, um, and they're going to get more of. It, they're these new wheels for wheelchairs. Um, they've partnered with this company from Israel. They, The Israeli company developed this. And instead of, you know, you look at a normal wheelchair wheel and you see spokes. It's like a bike wheel. You have right. spokes. Um, now, riding, if you remember back when you were riding your bike a lot, um, you hit a bump and you're going to feel that bump. It's not, it's not a comfortable thing to deal no. with. Um, and so if you think about it, in a wheelchair, people are sitting down, constantly and they're having to deal with this all the time. So this company decided, you know, the uh, founder of the company was had an accident and was in a wheelchair and that's this is how this happened. And so they, they took the spokes out and they've developed three arms that look like shock absorbers. And those arms um, work as spokes for a normal time, but then when you hit a bump, the shock absorbers kick in. And I forget the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I forget the, the number, the percentage of the stress that it relieves, but there's a video that I have um, embed in the article that I wrote about this, where it shows a test done on these wheels and where the normal spoke wheel will bounce 11 times. This new soft wheels, what it's called only bounces twice. Oh wow. Now these things are expensive. They're, they're they're, they're 21st century. They're expensive. It costs $2,500 for a set. They can go on any wheelchair. Um, it doesn't, the person who um, has to put them on, there's just a little bit of training, but but for the actual user, there's no training to go into it. Um, you don't sacrifice speed. All it does is just make your ride more comfortable. Um, they VA has just under 400 sets right now. They're going to get another 1,600 over the next three years. So what you need to do, if, if you want to check out these new wheels, go to your medical center, talk to your provider and let them go from there, because they can work the, the magic and possibly get you a new set of wheels.
2: Yeah, you know, always a good thing to soup up your ride, you know. Right. Yeah. And uh, But no, it's really cool, it, it's always, you know, you talk about the Israeli company and the guy who was in a wheelchair, that's how a lot of inventions start, is someone has a problem. How can I fix this problem for myself? And then it becomes, well, hey, this worked for me, maybe it'll work for someone else.
1: Right, and that's the philosophy behind a lot of the VA, and that's why I like to focus a lot of my attention on the individual medical centers, because you have the staff there that um, they're really just focused on their area. And each, you know, not each medical center has a specialty, but a lot of them do, but people who have to go to that medical center, there's usually trends and the staff notice these trends and they come up with solutions and something that works at a medical center, they'll try it out there and then it'll expand out. And it's really a great, great way of dealing with, with issues for veterans.
2: Wow, it's that's really cool stuff, man. Like it, people don't think about the VA is doing research and stuff. They think about the VA and all they think of is the bureaucracy and and waiting 3 hours for a prescription and, you know, all this other problems. Yeah. But it really it depends on where you go cuz like I said, I've never had a problem with the VA back when I was in Houston, the Michael E Debakey Center in Houston. Mm-hmm. I never had a problem with that. I mean, I once had to wait an hour for a prescription, which I guess is kind of a problem. But other than that, my my care came quick. I was happy with my care and it's just they the VA does a lot of really cool stuff.
1: Yeah, they they do and you know, you you anytime you hear something bad from the VA, you're going to hear about it because it's it's a veteran that is dealing with with a bad thing and that's news. We, we like to take care of veterans. Veterans are good people. I mean, we're both veterans, so I could say that, you know, in, in this <laughs> you room. You don't know me. Right? <laughs> but, you know, if you hear about it, if something bad happens at the VA, you're going to hear about it. It's hard. You just don't always hear about the good stuff. Uh, you mentioned research. VA's research department is incredible. That's my, that's my most <laughs> enjoyable newsletter that I get every month. i pour over that, that newsletter People Think I'm nerdy for it, um, and yes, I probably am, but I did find out that uh, they use um, uh, artificial intelligence to deal with cancer patients here at the VA. It's, really, it's been going on for a while. They use Watson, you know, those commercials, IBM Watson, yeah. So, they, um, it, the precision- Watson cure cancer, exactly, kind <laughs> of. Um, the precision, precision, I can't talk today, it's because of the coffee. The precision oncology there at VA is really, really good. Um, they most veterans who have had to deal with cancer treatment at the V8 are already using Watson and they don't even know about it because instead of having to go to one center to have your treatment taken care of the doctor at, let's like, say you had cancer and you have to, you're still in Houston. You could go get your biopsy done there. They send it, they send that to where Watson is. I think it's in um, uh, one of the Carolinas. I forget, forget exactly. Um, and it gets analyzed. That information goes through Watson they go through all the hundreds of thousands of variations for your specific type of cancer. The information goes back to your doctor who talks treatment with you. And it's individualized treatment because it comes through the computer, through the artificial intelligence. So it's already been going on. They've ex- they've signed an extension to go through 2019. So we're going to have that for a while longer. But it just keeps getting better and better and better.
2: That's awesome, man. Now, looking at ConnectingVets.com, we know that you... I don't know how you knock out these benefits in my backyard so fast
1: because, and
2: I, and I, I want, part of me wants to tell you to slow down. Cause we, you know, we only have 50 States.
1: I have, I think seven more to do and I want to get them done.
2: <laughs> you want to be done with it. Yeah. But does that include, does that include like Guam and Puerto Rico? Um,
1: I, I, it will, uh, I have, uh, that on my list. Um, I, it's a little bit more difficult to do things for Guam. Um, it, not all the states, this is the weird thing. Not all the states have the same format when they come to veterans. They don't even know how to, how to spell veterans affairs correctly. <laughs> it's either veteran affairs or veterans affairs or veterans apostrophe affairs or veteran apostrophe S affairs. It, it, it's all over the place, but not every single state has the same benefits. Um, the ones that I did yesterday were, were kind of difficult because it wasn't a lot. I'm doing Alaska and Rhode Island today. And I did a quick, a quick look. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of benefits for both of those states. Wouldn't think about it, but it is, um, it, it, it's interesting what you can do. Uh, if I, I really think veterans should, if they have an issue, go to their state Veteran Affairs Association first. Start with them, see what they can do for you first before you try to the big VA. because most of the time you're going to get better treatment because it's a smaller organization and they work with the VA. So why not start there first? It just seems more logical to do that if if you have an issue, start with them first.
2: Yeah, it's like you're always taught in the military, you handle things at the lowest level possible because it you just don't is when I mean, the higher up you get, the more
1: complicated things get. Yeah, absolutely.
2: All right, so let's let's take a look at this Bimby for Delaware.
1: Okay. That now, was a rough one. Oh really? Yeah.
2: And let's see, uh first off, I wanna ask you, it's illegal to whisper three hundred feet within a church? So,
1: yeah, I um, because
2: <laughs> every, every state has these weird laws like you can't wear a duck on your head or something like that. Or...
1: Yeah, um, there, yeah, that's what it says. Now, whether or not that's 100 percent true, I don't know. I did not um really dig into that. But that's what there's a law in the books that says you can't whisper within a 300 feet of a church or a, it, actually I, I left the rest of it out or a public gathering of people. Oh, which makes no sense.
2: I guess I'm not about privacy there.
1: <laughs> so yeah, Delaware was a, was a was a tough one because up until recently there was no specific tax breaks for veterans. Oh, really? They didn't have anything, and now they have a little bit of something. It's not the um, it, it's not the best, but they don't have a lot of veterans in, in Delaware. I think there's only like um, seventy six thousand, just a little over seventy six thousand, if I remember correctly.
2: Wow. So let's look at this. Um... Uh, the education, the Delaware education benefits for children of deceased veterans. Yeah. Uh, what do you tell me about that?
1: Um, not a lot, because there's not a lot of information. Ah. Uh, and so that that's this is kind of the problem. Now, you can. This is for uh, children of deceased veterans. It has to be done um, where they died from a service-related injury or on active duty. It's for prisoner of war or um, anybody killed in action. So. You can get this. It's a, um, I believe you have to be a state resident. uh, And I think it covers tuition, room and board. If I remember correctly. Um, And these, these, these uh, scholarship things, you really, really want to look at at them and then look at them early because there's a deadline for a lot of them. And there's usually a limited fund of a pot of money for this. Um, I think it was, I forget which state it was. I did yesterday, but they did have a um, something to help veterans buy a house but they were already out of money for, for this year. So I didn't include it um, in the thing. But that's something to look as well, because they do have these, these special pots of money that get um, approved by the state. Um, but it goes because it's very limited, the amount of money that they have. So it's very good to pay attention. And sometimes you may have to look at it at, at one of these websites for a year before the money will come back. But if you keep on it, there's some really good deals. Um, you get like $5,000 to go to your down payment. And again, I, I, I can't remember which state it was, but it was one of the states I did yesterday. Right.
2: And no, and that makes sense, especially because if we're a state with only 75 veterans, it's like, it's not that they don't care, it's that it's not that big of a focus because right. there's not that many people taking advantage of it. Right. Right. You know, like uh, I always tout Texas because you know I'm from Texas and people from Texas love being from Texas. You know, it's it's a thing we got. Uh, our egos as big as our state. So, but like they have the Hazelwood Act, which yeah. will you know, which is a a big benefit that will basically be the GI Bill after the GI Bill runs out.
1: And that's another good thing about states is um, a lot of the education benefits that they have. It's specifically set up to help you once your GI Bill benefits run out. Um, some states you could actually use it in conjunction with your GI Bill. Most of them you can't, but a lot of them are set up so that once one pot of money ends, up, this other one will, will kick right in. So it's a really, really good deal.
2: Yeah, awesome. So uh, let's talk about another story is uh, another big story we were talking about this a lot and we have little daily meetings to make sure we're all coordinated and not tripping over each other's toes but a big talk about this story about things we want to do with it the gender reassignment surgery is a possibility for the VA now i remember back when the full, back when president trump tweeted no transgender people in the military one of the things that came up was the cost and people assumed that to mean gender reassignment surgery mm-hmm. And that was a big thing of why should we pay for this? It's an elective surgery, to which I countered, "You fixed my eyes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's an elective surgery." Mm-hmm. So, what can you what can you tell me about the possibility of this happening at the VA?
1: Well, right now it's just in talks, and and what they've done is they've they've asked for comments from the public. So you can go to the Federal Register. You can go to my article about this, and you can, there's links in it. And you can go to there, and you can put your comments on it. They just want to remove gender reassignment, I forget, they call it gender alteration at the VA, but they want to remove that from the um, benefits exclusion list. There's only seven things that the VA won't do and this is one of them. So by doing that, they're gonna be able to provide 100% care to these veterans uh, because it doesn't matter if you put transgender in front of the word, they're veterans. And so they deserve, they 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 served, they fought, they deserve care. So this, this is a possibility now. Um, the request for comment goes until September 7th. I don't know what will happen after that. I will keep on the, on the story though. Um, but it, I, I personally think it's a good thing. I don't know if you could tell, but I personally think it's a good thing. <laughs> well,
2: no. And I agree. Cause like you said, they deserve treatment and like there's talk. I, I think oh, for a while, the army like would help pay for like breast implants. I think. Wow. Um,
1: I, I don't know. I do remember back when I was in the Navy. They we would get um, every summer almost um, reservists would come in. Like there would be like plastic surgery reservists, so you could you could get things done. Um, but I don't know that the Army was actually or the Navy was actually paying for it. The VA does not pay for cosmetic surgery unless it's medically necessary. If any, if something's medically medically necessary, they're gonna take they're gonna do it. But most of the time, cosmetic surgery won't happen. And then I, another thing that people need to remember is. Um, people tend to lump active duty and veterans together on this topic and it it has its apples and oranges because once you're a veteran, you're no longer active duty. You're not serving the country. You're not having to deal with any of that stuff. You're a veteran. So you should, you should get the care. And a lot of people say that it it ruins, you know, readiness, things like that. It's, you're not active duty anymore. It has nothing to do with that. So I think people should actually, you know, kind of stop being twisted about that for number one. But the VA will coordinate everything. If I if, if feel like I, I'm in the wrong body and I wanna go through the, the process, they will write the letters, they will, they will do the, everything that needs to happen up until the surgery. I have to go someplace else, have the surgery done, the VA does not pay for that right now. And then when I get back, they will coordinate all the care with that doctor oh. and my VA doctors, and they will supply hormones, they will do all that thing. Um, so VA does a lot right now, they just don't do the major surgery and if you're dealing with a veteran who is already in the VA system who already has other issues and then they're having to go through this which is a huge 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 massive change for you know right. I mean, obviously
2: yeah
1: what's better going outside to doctors that don't know how to take care of veterans are staying in the in the system to take care of veterans
2: yeah that's one of the big arguments for uh, for maintaining the va and not going to to private care system is that the va knows how to deal with the multiple combinations of issues that veterans may have right and it's the point of like like you said if it's service you know if it's if you need it, like if you're diagnosed with, I think it's called gender dysphoria, that mm-hmm. it causes you major distress, then you know if the if there's a chance they'll pay for it, I don't see why they shouldn't. I mean, and and it's really,
1: I don't know how much it costs, so I'm not even gonna gonna try to um, to comment on that. But uh, you know, if you're if you're dealing with with if you've already been in a war and you you maybe have a little bit of post traumatic stress, and then you're going to go through this whole transition, you need mental health care. And so, again, I think it's just best to, to for the VA to take care of these veterans because they know what they're doing. So, I mean, this the whole surgery for the transition surgery, they're going to have to, you know, I'm sure there's, well, I, I've talked to one doctor who um, probably could do it at the VA. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I did not ask her that. But she is in charge of the VA's uh, transgender give clinic. So she probably, if she doesn't know how to do it, she at least knows somebody who can. Right. Um, but keep the care with the VA, because these, these are veterans, and so let's just take care of our veterans the best way we know how through the VA.
2: Exactly. All right, moving on to another story. Uh, you wrote this on the 31st, I believe it was last week, I don't know. It's uh, keeping your chompers covered, dealing with the dental. Now, I, with myself, like I said, I'm a reti- technically I'm a retiree, so I can get all my health care through the VA, but they do not, I was briefed that the VA does not cover dental. Which is why when I went to go see a dentist for the first time in like a year and a half, I finally decided, you know what, it's time, and it was painful. Uh, I went to actually the dentist you recommended me when I used, oh, cool. uh, yeah, I, and she was very, very friendly, very professional, and she, I used my uh, work dental insurance. Mm-hmm. Now, this is saying that the VA has a dental program,
1: or VA has has insurance, dental insurance. Um, now uh, the the VA is set up to where the, there are certain certain times that you can get dental care. Um, I've written a couple articles about it. Go to Connecting Vets, um, search for a dental, and, and you'll find these articles. Um, but the, the the issue right here is TRICARE is, is ending its dental insurance. So they want um, retired veterans to, if you want to keep dental insurance, to either go for the federal, which is the federal employee dental insurance, which I used to have, which is really, really, really good, um, or go through VA to get their dental insurance. And so that's what this is. If you are, like say you're retiring this year, you're gonna have to do two steps in this. Because if you retire before the 31st of this year and you wanna keep dental care, you're gonna have to pick a different dental plan with TRICARE between now to take take you through now and the end of the year, and then you're going to have to come up with a new one through either through the federal dental or through VA's two things of dental. Okay,
2: so you're saying that in 2019, Tricare will no longer
1: cover dental. No longer di- cover dental
2: for re- for retirees. Going
1: away for retirees. Yeah.
2: Okay. And so they have to go to this federal dental, federal, I can't talk anymore. Right. Your coffee's <laughs> warning off on me. Uh, the federal federal employee dental and vision insurance program. Yeah. That's another big thing about vision insurance because people don't think about that. Like if you wear glasses, you kind of, you know, there's insurance co-pays to help pay for that.
1: Yeah, and it's not the best insurance in the world. I obviously I wear glasses um, and I need new ones, but it's not you know it it's something. But the the federal dental plan it, it's really good. I mean that was that's some of the best uh, dental insurance I've ever had in my life.
2: Yeah. So um, you'll need to enroll in. So uh, I'm sorry, I'm just reading through the article. Uh, there's a seven process. If you're retiring before December thirty first, two thousand eighteen, you need to enroll in TriCare Retiree dental plan now and then select. So you have to enroll now and then.
1: Yeah, and and, well, and open enrollment is starts in November. Um, if you look now at the plans, um, it's, it's the wrong information. They're not going to release the new plan, new information until October. So you could look right now to kind of get a feel for what what everything is, but you're not going to know the right um, prices or anything like that until October. Um, so wait until the, you know, check that out. Open enrollment is November. You have about a month to do that, and then it'll kick in um, December or January 1st. One, another thing um, to remember, if you are trying to get any care done right now, um, you may want to get it all taken care of. If you're on TRICARE right now, you may want to get it all taken care of. If you have something that's going to bleed over to next year and you you need to look at those plans very, very carefully because some of them have a waiting period and um, actually an an age uh, limitation um, to, for certain types of orthodontic, uh, uh, really expensive things. So if you pick a plan that has a waiting period, they're not going to cover what you're going through now. So oh. they won't be able to cover the the end of, end of the treatment. So again, you want to really read the fine print and really, really reach out and talk to somebody if you can, if, if you have any questions about this, because it, it there's a lot of various variables with it. Um, and you could be um, holding the bag for a lot of money if you're not careful.
2: Okay. All right. Well, that's a lot of cool information. Jonathan Kopanger, thanks so much for being on the show, man. This has been a great interview. You really helped out. So, uh, any last words?
1: Um, No, have a great Friday.
2: All right, you're (laughs) listening to The Morning Briefing. Stick around. We have B.J. Lawrence from the American League, or not the American Legion, the Veteran of Foreign Wars, coming up right after this. Stick around.
0: Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets.
2: Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. I'm Super Producer Jake Hughes, once again sitting in the driver's seat, because host Eric Dame is off on his fantastic family vacation. want to remind you one more time, check out the website, ConnectingBets.com, your one-stop shop for all things veteran-related, and make sure you follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Bets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to get the latest and greatest information about what's going on in the veteran sphere, know exactly when things pop off, and you will just generally be awesome. Now it's Friday, which means we get to talk with the American Legion. But being Friday, we have a being this Friday, we have a very very special guest. Uh, we have B J Lawrence. He is the national commander for the Veteran of Foreign Wars. B J, how you doing today? Good morning. Good morning. So I appear on the dock, and we need to talk about the return of the Korean War remains. So, we know that in the, just recently, 55 boxes of remains were sent back to America from the People's Republic of Korea, or whatever the hell they call it. So, what can you tell us about it?
3: Well, we're, first and foremost, the uh, VFW is very encouraged uh, by this first step in the uh, fulfillment of uh, Chairman Kim's pledge to President Trump to repatriate and recover the remains of U.S. service members.
2: Okay. So, uh has the V How has the VFW uh been has the VFW been getting involved in this at all?
3: Uh yes, we have. Uh prior to the uh Singapore Summit, the leadership of the Veterans of Foreign Wars uh sent a letter to the White House urging that uh the repatriation of our, our US service members be a priority in the talks uh during that summit.
2: Oh, okay. So, this is probably an obvious question, but I want to hear you, you know, explain exactly why is it re- important that we get all these remains back?
3: Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, to honor a honor a pledge, uh, we we pledged as as veterans and as soldiers, uh, one that we we would never forget, and two, we would leave no soldier behind. Uh, it's important to us, and it's important to the to the families of those missing. Um, that we have an opportunity to, to re return our warrior song.
2: Okay. So, uh, I'm reading the story that we posted on connect about how 55 boxes were, were returned. Do we know yet exactly how many remains are in those boxes?
3: No, we don't. And in, in fact, uh, I'm sure that that's going to be a uh, time consuming process. Um, the, uh, the folks at the DPAA laboratories will in uh, Hawaii will go through that process of of uh, trying to sort and identify those remains and uh, see just what they have that they're working with
2: okay is the VFW doing anything to help this process?
3: What we're doing is we're urging uh, families uh, to submit uh, DNA samples prior uh, to uh, to speed up the uh, identification process. Uh, right now we're estimating that uh, that on file there's only uh, 91% of Korean War missing uh, have uh, family reference samples on file for identification purposes.
2: Okay, so people need to submit DNA samples so we can make sure who's who. That's a very good point. So where do you think we go from here?
3: Well, we're, we're hoping... Uh, that this will lead to uh, future agreements um, and hopefully uh, we can continue uh, joint uh, operations, recovery operations in, in North Korea that were ceased uh, back in 2005.
2: Okay. Uh, so we recently found out that uh, two. Uh, a of the remains have been reported an Army Corporal Terrell J. Fuller and an Army Sergeant William A. Larkins. Uh, tell me, I don't know, we, we don't know if they were VFW members, obviously, but has the VFW been doing anything to try to reach out to families that may have missing family members in Korea? Uh,
3: yes, we have. As a matter of fact, uh, we recently did a uh, worldwide press release, and we also have information on our website, uh, Reaching out to those families uh, first and foremost, we're urging them to uh, to please uh, submit those uh, DNA reference samples. Uh, that's going to be an infor- important first step uh, in hopes that the uh, that the next identification announcement may be their long lost soldier, sailor, sailor, airman, or marine.
2: Okay, so do you know anything about the identification process, like what everything goes through?
3: Well, when they uh, when they receive the the remains, uh, of course they have to go through a sorting process and, and a and a cataloging process. Then they the uh, the laboratories are going to do a scientific uh, test on the remains to in hopes of identifying uh, who the individual is. Um, as I stated earlier, that, that could take uh, that could be a lengthy process. Uh, The ultimate goal, though, is to be able to identify that soldier beyond a doubt.
2: You're absolutely right, and it's important that we get these rights so that those families can have closure. So, uh, question. We know that these these two identified soldiers will be remains. Will the VFW be doing anything for their families, like maybe reaching out to them or anything like that?
3: Um, Anytime uh, we have uh, a uh, ceremony, Uh, throughout the country VFW members um, once they receive word of that they they also uh, attend those ceremonies Uh, just recently when the remains were were uh, returned we had over uh, 15 VFW members uh, present in Hawaii at Hickam uh, for uh, the returning ceremony
2: that's amazing
3: so um...
2: I know that all we can really do now is hope that the process continues and that uh, that the the public of North Korea decides to keep returning these things. Um, how involved, or if at all, would you think the VFW will be involved in the process moving forward?
3: We're going to continue to be a, a strong advocate uh, for the for the. Re- One, for the return of the remains, but also a a strong advocate with a a collective goal to commence field operations in the DPRK uh, for the repatriation and recovery uh, of our soldiers. Um, We're going to stay involved. We're going to be a strong voice and a strong advocate. Uh, It's the humanitarian thing to do.
2: You're absolutely right. And it's important that we stay on top of this because I think it said, the story says that over 7,000 service members are still unaccounted for from the Korean War and we only got 55 boxes. So it's going to be an ongoing process. So um, what do you think is... Hang on, let me try try to think of how to word my question here
3: real quick. No, I I would just... uh... You know we're we're making progress, but but it's slow. Um, of the the four hundred um, plus, in excess of four hundred U.S. remains either unilaterally turned over by the DPRK in the early nineteen hundreds, or recovered during the uh, DOD's nineteen ninety six through two thousand and five recovery operations in North Korea. Over three hundred and thirty seven of, of those. Uh, Individuals have been identified, accounted for, and returned to their families for burial with uh, full military o- honors. Uh, we've got to keep insisting on that. It's it's been over six decades. Um, the The families deserve to have those answers, and the families deserve to have their loved ones returned home.
2: You're right, and that's why it's important because we leave no man behind. I don't know how the other services go, but in the Army we say we never leave a fallen comrade, so that's what's important about this. Well, uh, BJ Lawrence, I want to thank you for appearing on the show and answering my questions, man. This is a very, very heartfelt interview.
3: Well, I sure appreciate the time to to get our message out. Uh, We we have to stay on the forefront of of this issue. Uh, It's important uh, to the American people and it's, it's important uh, to uh, remind everyone that we will not forget. And, and as you said, we will leave no one behind. We have to continue that mission and, and keep charging forward.
2: All right. Well, B.J. Lawrence, the National Commander of the Veteran Foreign Wars. I'm sure you're a busy man, so I'll let you go. But once again, thank you for your time, sir. We really appreciate it.
3: Thank you. You have a great day. You too, B.J. Bye-bye.
2: And once again, we want to thank B.J. Lawrence, the National Commander of the Veterans of Foreign Wars for that very informative and very powerful interview that we know it's always important. Because like I said, we have over 7,000 service members still unaccounted for from the Korean War, and there, a lot of the remains are trapped in North Korea. So it comes down to the diplomacy of what we can do to get those bodies back. So right now I am joined by, speaking of people who experience Korea, because he's that old. Uh, I'm <laughs> Hardly. I am joined by our own Phil Briggs. Phil, how you doing today? Really good,
0: Jake. Really good,
2: man. So we were talking about uh, the Korean War, and I know that you did a story I'm looking at right now on ConnectingBets.com, and it's a podcast called Hell on Earth, Former POWs and a Marine Story
0: of War and Survival. Can you give me like the the bullet points this story yeah gladly and in fact it was really one of the most powerful interviews i've done this year so when i hear about the remains being repatriated and coming back to the states from north korea i hear about opening this dialogue between the current administration and the north korean government um it gives me a sense of hope that maybe some of these guys i talk to uh will have some closure and get some you know get some rest get some benefit from this new dialogue we have specifically who i talked to was a Two POWs, former POWs, Joe Anello, and I'm going to try to say his name correctly, Hiroshi Miyamura, but he goes by Hershey. And these two guys were just the most wonderful gentlemanly guys I've talked to, and their story could be a Spielberg movie. Imagine this. You are fighting In a pretty fierce battle along the, the, and I forget, it's kind of a famous battle of, of the Korean War where they were surrounded by the Chinese and they'd taken a lot of their gunners and they'd helped bail out a British troop. And it was along the 33rd parallel there. And one evening, the Chinese surrounded them and literally laid down so much fire that they either like captured or the other Americans had to retreat. And... Everyone that didn't get out of the way either died or was captured. Joe and Nello and his best friend, Hiroshi Miyamura, a Japanese-American, were captured. And they'd both been wounded pretty severely. And (laughs) the touching part was hearing them both recant their version of the story because they're both trying to make each other sound like the bigger hero. (laughs) But the brass tacks of the story was that Joe was wounded Hiroshi was not wounded as badly. Hiroshi carried Joe for like, I don't know, 30 miles or something. And when it got to the point that he was slowing up the ranks being marched from this one prisoner location to where their prison camps would be, the guards told Hershey to put Joe on the side of the road and leave him. And Hershey thought, for sure. That was the last time he'd ever see his buddy Joe. Thought for sure he was going to be laying his friend on the side of the road to die. And the way they told about their captivity, the way they told the story of of how they endured it and how they stayed mentally, the way they told the story about how they stayed uh, mentally sane through captivity, the way they told the story of this heart-wrenching goodbye on the side of the road. And then the way that Joe and Nello told me, the incredible story of busting out a prison camp, <laughs> of eventually being liberated by the U.S. Army, and you'd like this as a tanker man, hearing the tanks roll up on the outskirts yeah. of town, and hearing the the booms, and then the, you know, just the explosions of, of uh, you know, them laying down some fire. And uh, the next thing you know, you know, he's a free man, and he's riding out of town on a tanker, and he eventually, you know, goes... Through the physical therapy and he gets you know gets out of the hospital and then i want to say like a year goes by and in the early 1950s well mid 1950s by this time he finds out where hershey is working at a base in california and just out of the blue one day swings open the doors walks up to hershey's desk and hershey drops his jaw and looks and is like but joe you're supposed to be dead <laughs> And there he is. And he's like, no, Hershey, far from dead. And to hear both these sweet older guys tell me that for the last 50-some years, uh, both they and their wives have been very close friends was just uh, one of the most emotional podcasts I've ever put together. And a a real testament to the stories from that era because, you know, we know of Vietnam War stories thanks to the movies. Uh, We know of World War II stories thanks to the movies and, you know, great literature. We don't always hear about Korea.
2: Yeah, it's the problem is with Korea and, and to a certain extent World War One are really the forgotten wars. People don't yeah. want to think about. But for and I never understood why, because there are so many heroic stories that can come from those wars. And I want to ask if on a personal level, what's it like having being able to sit down and hear those kinds of stories, man?
0: Mm. Uh, for both of them, it was it was really emotional. Now, they've told these stories and they've got the wisdom and the, uh, how do I say this? I, I, I guess the they've got the grace of time. I mean, it's been since the 1950s that this happened to them. So it's not visceral. It's not, you know. Um, painful. It's not painful for them to recount this. Whereas I would imagine decades ago, it still would have been a pretty fresh wound in their mind to even discuss what it was like being held captive. But when I did call Joe back recently uh, to get a quote, actually, to talk to him about this, you know, the remains being returned from North Korea, um, you can still hear a little fire in his voice. You can still hear, you know, one still kind of pisses him off Two, he was very candid in saying that um, he believes the North Koreans have these remains or have, you know, uh, parts of the remains of U.S. soldiers just warehoused. And he said they dole them out when they feel it's expedient to their political purposes right and that you could hear that just clear as a bell in his voice um and then he he as he told me the story for the initial podcast hell on earth he um he wasn't so much sad as it was like a inspirational story to him and when he talked about being held captive he told me in that interview about having to bury a friend of his uh I believe it was a navy pilot who was wounded too badly to go on and they were at one point and get this this is the detail he could tell me they were asking their chinese officers there the holding him captive they were asking him for tools so that they could do the amputation on this gentleman's I believe it was his arm they wanted. they were willing to to do surgery themselves not being surgeons just to try to save this guy's life that's amazing and, sadly horrifying horrifying and it's just i mean the description of what this prison camp was like was so three-dimensional that like you could literally see it as he describes it and it was pretty horrific but uh um you know they lost that gentleman sadly had to go and the good lord took him but when he did die they buried him and they gave him an honorable burial and he told me when we talked most recently about the uh, about the koreans returning the remains um, he said, you know, I had to bury a friend over there, as you remember. And I was like, yeah, Joe, I remember you telling me that story. He's like, you know, they never found that guy. He, he They sent a, a group back some decades later to try to find the exact spot where he had been buried. And all they could find was his leather aviator jacket. Oh, wow. Because a kid in the village who had been hiding from the Chinese at the time saw the jacket, used it to stay warm. And... um knew where this gentleman where you know where they had buried their friend but it had been moved since oh that's horrible showing, showing that yeah there is a little bit of you know i don't know what the word is i'm looking for but there's a little bit of like suspicion like do you really trust what the north koreans are doing do you really trust what they're saying here and he firsthand had gone back over to korea to try to find the remains of his friend and couldn't and 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 fortunately got a good story from a you know, from a young Korean orphan who had witnessed, you know, their captivity and had the leather jacket still and could give him the jacket. But, uh, you know, he was um, he was real quick to point out that we should be suspicious and we should, you know, obviously maybe starting a dialogue is a good thing and a step in the right direction. But there was hell on earth that those brave soldiers went through and they deserve Not only the returns of their remains, but, uh, you know, they deserve every sort of apology and they deserve more than that. Our eternal love and respect because their stories are just amazing that 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 human beings, that guys like you and me can live through stuff like that. I mean, I can't even
2: imagine like I can not imagine what was like, granted, you know, captured by Iraqi or by, you know, Taliban or ISIS forces doesn't usually end very well. They no. don't go to camps. But I can't believe being held captive like that and having to bury my own friends. That's yeah. that that's really powerful stuff. And I'm glad that, you know, I'm sad that it happened, but I'm glad you were able to capture that in the podcast and in a mm-hmm. story to be able to tell people because these are the kind of like you said, people don't hear about Korea as much. These are the stories that need to be told.
0: And even at the end uh, of the podcast, you know, they're still laughing back and forth. He and Hiroshi, uh, uh, he said that he was disappointed when Hiroshi joined his his division uh, because he was no longer the best looking guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and Hiroshi's like, no, you were the better looking guy. You got, you know, you got more girls. I mean, they're still, you know, through and through as 70, 80 year old men now still just, you know, yeah, like we always are. We're always going to be the soldiers, sailors, sailors. Airmen and Marines that we were when we joined, no matter what age we are, and uh, no matter what we have to endure, these guys came out on the other side, better, stronger, and just true heroes, and it was a pleasure to be able to document their story.
2: Yeah, that saltiness never really leaves you once you once you've experienced the suck of the military. It, it just it sticks with you, and it doesn't matter where you are if you were deployed or not. You know, I mean, well, deployment helps. I'm not gonna
0: lie, but right, right. Uh, but even someone like you, I mean, you never deployed to a combat zone, correct? No, I didn't. I was on a you know I was on a carrier. Uh, yeah, i was in the rear with the gear safe and sound over you know the ocean
2: yeah but and even then you had to experience all this stupid crap you have to go through in the
0: military stuck on a ship for six months yeah, yeah i know right that's
2: like that's you know and at least see this is the thing when i was in iraq i had a bed and room to put my stuff i would granted it was a it was a containment it was a big uh, shipping container with an AC unit in it, but still it was a thing I didn't have to sleep on like 12 inches of space above my head <laughs> right. well 12 inches from the mattress to the to the ceiling I didn't have to yeah. sleep there so it's always something man
0: well, what does it Navy seals say at uh, buds uh, embrace the suck yep <laughs> you know because we all you know we all go through it and I think that that's what makes us a cut of a different you know a, a cut of a different cloth as veterans, because we haven't, we have had to deal with some stuff that a lot of folks won't, and uh, just being able to tell their stories like we do here, and certainly in podcast form with this episode, Hell on Earth, was you know absolutely cool.
2: All right, running short on time, but I want to ask you about the story on the front page from our own Phil Briggs. Uh, soup for you, oh, about the soup Nazi.
0: <laughs> Indeed, what is that story all about? The original Soup Man LLC is a brand that uh, the soup. That was inspired by the Soup Nazi character on Seinfeld. And they've got a variety of different flavors of soups. And one of the things they wanted to do, um, and I believe the company behind them is called uh, Gallant Brands. But what the parent company wanted to do is they wanted to connect with veterans with their soup products. So they took this town in New Jersey, and they just brought tons of these soups to a central location and said that anyone in Nutley, New Jersey, that's a U.S. veteran can have them for free so now oh, wow. there's like a place where all these veterans are being told they can go and pick up lobster bisque and chicken noodle soup and lentil and and It's just kind of a neat story because, you know, we all remember the crass, edgy, grumpy chef. No soup for you. No soup for you. And if you didn't order it correctly, you know, Jerry got kicked out of line. Elaine got suspended from soup privileges for an entire year. Well, now (laughs) there is soup for you. And in Nutley, New Jersey, uh, the original Soup Man brands are giving it out to veterans for free. And they're hoping, and this is kind of a cool thing, they're hoping to scale it nationally. So they want to find partners in cities all across the country that will share with them uh, the ability ability to you know have any veteran in their city and town and state come on into a place and get this soup for free and you don't think about soup maybe in the heat of august but it's pretty cool and anytime i can get some free food you know yeah my my dad dad always turning it down
2: my dad always taught me never never turn down free food unless it's coming from a stranger in a van (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then and even then just make sure you see the puppy first but no that's sure that's, hor- that's horrible that's horrible well, looking at Jake, you
0: can't see it over the podcast or over the radio show here but looking at jake he's not turned down too much soup you know what i'm saying oh well
2: just shut up <laughs> you should talk i know at right? least i can grow a beard <laughs> now we're gonna do that again. yeah we're doing that all right phil briggs thanks for stopping by man
0: Always, brother. Good All times.
2: Right. You're listening to The Morning Briefing here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Once again, follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us. Get the latest and greatest happenings in the veteran sphere and be cool. It's Friday, people, so that means i got to give you the little safety briefing. Be safe. Have fun. Make sure you tune in next week. Well, Eric will be back. We'll have a lot of cool stuff. And... It will just be cool. I'm Jake Hughes. He's Phil Briggs. You're awesome.
0: And we will see you on Monday. Helping military veterans stay connected.
3: We make it easy.
0: We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets.